0: Once upon a time. Once upon a time. Once upon a time. Once upon a time. Hi, I'm RPJ and welcome to another bonus episode of Dad's Read Princess Stories. So, in episode 2 of the podcast, Mike Vardy told the story of Olga of Kiev and how she got revenge for her husband's death. But what happened after? Today, on this bonus episode, we are going to take a look at the life of Olga after she got her revenge, from her work keeping the state together, to her conversion to Christianity. But first, who is Olga? Olga of Kiev, also known in Old Norse as St. Helga, was a regent of Kievan Rus. Where and what is Kievan Rus, you might be asking right away? Well... Is a loose federation of East Slavic and Finnic peoples in Europe from the late 9th to mid 13th century. The modern nations of Belarus, Russia, and Ukraine all claim Kevin Rus as the cultural ancestors, with Belarus and Russia deriving their names from it. According to the Primary Chronicle, Olga was of Viking origin. The Primary Chronicle is going to come up a lot in this episode. It's a history of the Kevin Rus from 850 to 1110. Aside from this info, not much else is known about Olga before she got into power. Olga's birthday is unknown. It could be as early as 890 AD and as late as 925 AD, but that's about it. So in episode 2, you heard the story of her revenge read to you by Mike Vardy. But what happened after? Olga remained regent ruler of Kievan Rus for the support of the army and her people. She changed the system of tribute gathering in the first legal reform recorded in Eastern Europe. She continued to evade proposals of marriage, defending the city during the Siege of Kiev in 968, and saved the power of the throne for her son. After her dramatic defeat of the Drevlians, Olga passed through the land of Dereva, accompanied by her son in retinue, establishing laws and tribute. Her trading posts and hunting reserves still there. As queen, Olga established trading posts and collected tribute among the Mesta and Luga rivers. She established hunting grounds, boundary posts, towns, and trading posts across the empire. Olga's work helped to centralize state rule with Pogosti. Now, let's stop right here. What's Pogosti, you might be thinking? The original use of Pogosti applies to the Coaching Inn for princes. Okay, let's stop there again, because A coaching inn was a vital part of Europe's inland transport infrastructure until the development of the railway, providing a resting point for people and horses. Coaching inns were used by private travellers in their coaches, the public riding stagecoaches between one town and another. Just as with roadhouses in other countries, although many survive and some still offer overnight accommodation, in general, coaching inns have lost their original function and now operate as ordinary pubs. So, the original uses of Pagosti applies to the coaching inn for princes. With the word being similar to modern Russian gost or guest, it is assumed that the original pogost was rural communities on the peripheral of ancient Russian state, as well as trading centers. In the end of the 10th century, Pagost transformed into administrative and territorial districts. So Olga's work helped to centralize state rule with Pagosti. Olga's network of Pagosti would prove important in the ethnic and cultural unification of the Russian nation. And her border posts began the establishment of national boundaries for the kingdom. In 950, Olga traveled to Constantinople to the capital of Byzantine Empire to visit Emperor Constantine VII. Once in Constantinople, Olga converted to Christianity, with the assistance of the Emperor and the Patriarch. While the Primary Chronicle does not divulge Olga's motivation for her visit or conversion, it does go into great detail on the conversion's process, in which she was baptized and instructed in the ways of Christianity. The reigning Emperor was named Constantine, son of Leo. Olga came before him. And when he saw that she was very fair and wise as well, he conversed with her and remarked that she was worthy to reign with him in his city. When Olga heard his words, she replied that she was still a pagan, and that if he desired to baptize her, he should perform this function himself. Otherwise, she was unwilling to accept baptism. The emperor, with the assistance of the patriarch, accordingly baptized her, when Olga was enlightened, she rejoiced in soul and in body. The patriarch, who instructed her in her faith, said to her, Blessed art thou among the women of Ruz, for thou hast loved the light, and quit the darkness. The sons of Ruz shall bless thee to the last generation of thy descendants. He taught her the doctrine of the church, and instructed her in prayer and fasting in almsgiving, and in the maintenance of chastity. She bowed her head, and like a sponge absorbing water, she eagerly drank in his teachings. The princess bowed before the patriarch, saying, Through thy prayers, Holy Father, may I be preserved from the crafts and assaults of the devil. At her baptism, she was christened Helena, after the ancient empress, mother of Constantine the Great. The patriarch then blessed her and dismissed her. While the primary chronicles note that Olga was Christian with the name Helena after the ancient Saint Helena, some argue that Olga's baptismal name comes from the contemporary emperor's wife, Helena. The observation that Olga was worthy to reign with him in his city suggests that the emperor was interested in marrying her. While the Chronicle explains Constantine's desire to take Olga as his wife as stemming from the fact that she was fair and wise as well, marrying Olga could certainly have helped him gain power over Rus. The Chronicle recounts that Olga asked the Emperor to baptize her knowing that this baptismal sponsorship by the rules of spiritual kinship would make marriage between them a kind of spiritual incest. Though her desire to become Christian may have been genuine, this request was also a way for her to maintain political independence. After her baptism, the emperor summoned Olga and made known to her that he wished her to become his wife. But she replied, How can you marry me after yourself baptizing me and calling me your daughter? For among Christians, that is unlawful, as you yourself must know. Then the emperor said, Olga, you have outwitted me. He gave her many gifts of gold, silver, silks, and various vases, and dismissed her, still calling her his daughter. Naturally, we have to take all of this with a grain of salt. The chances of the story proposal could easily be literary embellishment, describing an event that is highly unlikely to have ever actually occurred. In fact, at the time of her baptism, Constantine already had an empress. In addition to uncertainty over the truth of the Chronicle's telling of events in Constantinople, there is controversy over the details of her conversion of Christianity. According to Russian sources, she was baptized in Constantinople in 957. Byzantine sources, however, indicate that she was a Christian Christian, Prior to her 957 visit, it seems like that she was baptized in Kiev around 955 and followed a second Christianing in Constantinople, took the Christian name Helena. Olga was not the first person from Ruse to convert from her pagan ways, though. There were Christians in Igor's court who had taken oaths at the St. Elias Church in Kiev in 945, but She was the most powerful ruse individual to undergo baptism during her lifetime. The Primary Chronicle reports that Olga received the Patriarch's blessing for her journey home, and that, once she arrived, she unsuccessfully attempted to convert her son to Christianity. Now, Olga dealt with her son, Svatoslav. She urged him to be baptized, but he would not listen to her suggestion. In the Chronicle, her son declares that his followers would laugh if he were to accept Christianity. While Olga tried to convince her son that his followers would follow his example if he converted, her efforts were in vain. However, her son did agree to not persecute those in his kingdom who did convert, which marked a crucial turning point for Christianity in the area. Despite the resistance of her people to Christianity, Olga built churches in Kiev and elsewhere. According to the Primary Chronicle, Olga died of illness in 969. Although he disapproved of his mother's Christian tradition, her son heeded Olga's request that her priest Gregory conduct a Christian funeral without the ritual pagan burial feast. Her tomb remained in Kiev for over two centuries, but was destroyed by the Mongolian armies of Batu Khan in 1240. At the time of her death, it seemed that Olga's attempt to make and Rus a Christian territory had been a failure. Nonetheless, Olga's Christianizing mission would be brought to fruition by her grandson Vladimir, who officially adopted Christianity in 988. In 1547, nearly 600 years after her death, the Russian Orthodox Church named Olga a saint. Olga's feast day is on July 11th, the date of her death. In keeping with her own biography, she is the patron of widows and converts. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode about Olga of Kiev. We are now on most streaming services. You can find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, Overcast, just to name a few. If you have not already, please click the subscribe button so that you do not miss out on any future episodes. Leave us a review, all the kind words help. You can also follow us on Facebook and on Instagram at Dads Read Princess Stories and on Twitter at DadsRead follow us on all of those so that you can find out what stories are coming out next. I'm RPJ, stay safe.